0: So high that my back's near broke? Way go my brow was wet and my throat to choke. Way go you you seen me here for ten long years. Way go I miss my whiskey and I miss my beer. with a ball and chain.
1: Blues and Roots. Uh, great to have an Australian legend on the show.
2: Great to be on the show.
1: I no, really appreciate it. I thought about time I um, sat down with you and um, got some of the the, uh, the wisdom and background from Phil Manning. Um, and uh, sorry to interrupt all your painting. I know you're doing a lot of painting at the moment.
2: Yeah, uh, that, that came about because of the COVID lockdown. uh now not going out and doing gigs. I was absolutely bored, you know, and um I went to art school uh, for a very short time when I left high school um, before I became a professional musician. Yeah. And over the, years, I've, over the years, I've painted a bit, you know. But anyway, this gave me a chance to actually get my teeth into it and, and uh, I've just, you know, rediscovered. Cause I, I've always loved painting. Yeah. And uh, so I rediscovered that. That was fantastic.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, what I've seen, they're really top quality. You've you got an exhibition lined up?
2: Uh, Well, just a a small one initially, uh, Mario's in Fitzroy. You know Mario's Cafe? Oh, yes,
1: I do. In
2: Fitzroy. um, They've been having uh, artists, aspiring artists, put their work up there for years, 38 years I think they've been doing it. And uh, basically the work just goes up on the wall for two weeks. People come and dine and have their coffees and if they like it, they buy it. There's, There's... Uh, there's no sort of fancy openings or anything like that. It's just the art goes up. So I've got uh, a bunch of my stuff going up on the 24th of August. Uh, Sorry, 24th of July for two weeks. So um, I'm looking forward to that and working towards that at the moment.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, well, I'm very impressed um, from what I've seen, so I think you'll do pretty well there. Let's hope so. (laughs) Let's let's hope. So – so let's talk about, going right back, I mean, I think we've got a, a common ancestry. My mother was uh, born in Devonport, and so were you, and uh, in Tasmania. Yeah,
2: yeah. well, I was, actually, I was actually born in La Trobe, if you want to be yes. absolutely official about it, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah.
1: Uh, and my, uh, my uncle was Ian Braid, who was a minister in the government there for about 20-odd years, so... Um, oh, really? And he's from that area, okay. so... Um, uh, yeah, so um, and I think he beat Daryl Baldock at the polls once, but um, I, don't, I won't go into any more about it. He was minister for racing and um, and betting or something all at once so, uh, as yeah. an ideal away. Daryl to- Baldock, he
2: played. He, he played for St Kilda, didn't he, Darryl? Yes, he Baldock. did.
1: Yes, he did. They used to. Call him he lived Baldwin. next
2: door, to, and he lived ne- right next door to us for a period of time.
1: Is that right? Yeah. Now he, he yeah. was. He was called the Ball Wizard over here in um, in Melbourne, and um, and he was, but um, was fan- a rover. Yeah, that's right. Fantastic. So so you you kicked off your career in Devonport, is that right? You started into music when you were young.
2: Uh, yeah, the um, brother and sister uh, and myself all all learnt piano, all went to piano lessons. I did uh, classical piano for eight years, all up. Um, and then the Beatles came along, and of course the piano went out the window, <laughs> <laughs> and, and ha- had to get a guitar. Yeah.
1: And, and um, what age were you when you started with a guitar?
2: Fifteen. Fifteen. At, yeah, Fifteen. I I wanted to get a guitar about uh, about a year earlier, but my, my dad was my dad knew very well that if I got a guitar, I'd, I'd ignore my school studies. And uh, of course, that's precisely what happened.
1: <laughs> so so you, know, you you um you, you were into guitar and 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 very good at it early days. What's the background of that? Do you think your 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 history with piano, or, or was it just something else that enabled you to get uh, good at it very quickly?
2: Well, uh, well, strangely enough, my the piano theory or whatever what you know my years of learning piano were that you know reading reading classical pieces of music sight reading you know yeah. and i didn't really know anything about music so when i got a guitar it was a mystery yeah um it it, it was really a mystery and in those days um about the only guitar book Instruction book you could get was the Melbay method or something. Yeah. So anyway, I basically taught myself a few chords and then started trying to copy the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, and uh, it went from there. The, the 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 thing of course that I you know that I do give uh, credit to the piano for was that I uh, I developed a, a, a reasonably accurate ear yeah. as, as a result of playing piano all that time the piano was always kept in tune and so I'd grown up, you know, accustomed to music being in tune, et cetera.
1: And were you able to transcribe the key structure to the guitar fretboard pretty quickly?
2: Uh, I'm still fighting with it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's still a mystery to me. I learned piano for a bit too and I'm um, I'm a hack on the guitar and I think that's why, but... um, And I'm always amazed at people who just get it straight off. But um, were you electric early days or acoustic?
2: Uh, Well, the first guitar that I bought was, which I've actually still got, uh, was called a a Broadway made probably by Hoyer. After the Second World War, a lot of the German companies called their products American names so that people wouldn't you go, Ooh, it's German, you know. Yeah. Um. So, I bought this Broadway uh, F-hole acoustic with a couple of. Uh, when it had one pickup initially, and I put a little two pickup set on it, so that was my first guitar, and um, uh, and then sort of, I don't know, a year or two later, I managed to save up and and buy a Les Paul Junior, a, a, an SG Junior. Which yeah. uh, which I had for a while, um, and then uh, before long, I I, <laughs> I got I got myself a Stratocaster, but I wanted to look like I wanted to look like Jeff Beck, <laughs> so I I cut the I cut the uh, Strat up so it looked like a Telecaster. Dreadful thing to do. <laughs> That's what we did back then.
1: So, so I mean, you you're obviously into you electric early on, but I mean recently the last. Um, X number of decades, and you do play electric, but you're doing a lot of acoustic work.
2: Yeah, well, that I I started uh, back in the in the chain days, uh, like '90, particularly when we had our hit records, "Black and Blue" and uh, "Judgment" and and the album "Toward the Blues." Uh, I I had a, a an acoustic guitar at home all the time, and basically, you know, I got into writing on acoustic guitar, yeah. got into into practicing uh classical right hand exercises to try and make the fingers work and uh I I, I even tried for a time in the in the mid 70s to to go acoustic work acoustic but it, that was in the days of very loud amplifier huge stacks of amps and that yeah. was a a wrong time to try that yeah um uh so but I, I, I always had that that love of acoustic music uh and and of course, being in a band, I never got a chance to do anything with it because we were always on the road touring. Yeah, and uh, so in recent in recent years, it's been nice to be able to work out and work solo or with other people acoustic, and still do the electric stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned chain. I mean, obviously, I mean, the the story is it was number one, the only number one blues record. But you're only together in that format for about twelve months,
2: weren't you? Yeah, eleven months, I think it is. Eleven months, yeah.
1: So so how how did Chain happen? Um you've not been asked that question a million times, but um, how did it happen and, and why did it stop after eleven months?
2: Well, uh Chain had course, had been going since nineteen sixty-eight, uh, with uh various lineups, beginning with Wendy Saddington as a singer. Yeah. Uh and then the uh, lineup after that with uh Warren Morgan, Glenn Mason, big goose, little goose, and me. Yeah. Um. Uh. And then Warren went off and joined uh, the Aztecs. Glenn went off to England. Yeah. And left the two Barrys and myself. And so we decided to get Matt as a singer and harmonica player. And that, co- of course, getting Matt totally changed the sound of the band because of you know Matt's vocal, his his strong vocal sound, and 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 we became a much more bluesy based. Prior to that, we'd been sort of quite progressive in our, you know, influenced by the likes of of traffic and that sort of music, you know. Yeah. Uh, When Matt joined, uh, we became quite sort of, uh, uh, well, we we just started developing an original sound uh, purely uh, just because we didn't want to play everyone else's music or or if we did play some blues things, we would tend to do it in our own way, and um, so that that sort of developed, and and uh, we were we were just touring constantly at that point, uh, like five nights, six nights a week. Sometimes yeah. in the on the weekend, you'd do two shows a day, wow. maybe one in the afternoon, one at night, and uh, it it just burnt us out, and one by one. Uh, I, I think uh, Barry uh, Barry Harvey left. We replaced him with Kevin Murphy. Then Barry Sullivan left, and we replaced him with Charlie Tamahai. Then I I got sick of the the, the lack of organizational sort of stuff in our arrangements, and I left. Yeah. yeah. Matt got Lindsay Wells, and then it sort of fell apart. And then a few years later, we re or not even a few probably months later. We reformed um, uh, the the Glenn Mason Warren Morgan thing, so it changed all the time. But that that period in uh, from nineteen seventy into seventy one was the period where we had our commercial success.
1: Well, it, it certainly stood you in good stead. I mean, you you still uh, pack out venues when you play as a chain today. Um, every, every time there's yeah, a it, it's, venue, it's sold out.
2: Yeah, it's a great. We're still a great band. I love playing. You know, Matt and I have been working together on and off since uh, nineteen sixty-seven. Sixty-seven, yeah. And, and, and Matt, um,
1: sorry, Matt, if I'm not mistaken, it's in WA, correct?
2: Yeah, Matt lives in Perth. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So sorry, sorry, I interrupted you there.
2: Go ahead. Yeah, that's no, all right. And um, uh, so you know, Matt and I have had our ups and downs, but in the the last 20, 20 Years or something, we've just sort of cruised along, and it's it's great to get together. And um, uh, we've sort of over the years developed these loose arrangements to a lot of a lot of songs, which means that every time we get together and we have a, a rehearsal and and go out, and things always change. It's all, it's all never been a band that uh, just statically plays things. You know, the arrangements change. Uh, just uh, it, and it's really nice that because of that uh, that we we actually have have fun. You know, it's yeah. not like going out and just regurgitating something.
1: Yeah, well, it's certainly iconic in the Australian scene. As I said, every, every time uh, there's a chain gig, at uh, all the promoters and ven- uh, venues must love it because uh, it sells out.
2: Yeah, and uh, and not only that, the uh, our audience are known for. Uh, <laughs> no known for that, the uh for, for breaking the bar we've uh, we've had many instances where the publicans said oh you guys broke the bar record tonight <laughs> and uh, I remember once, I remember once in uh Adelaide uh the guy there at the uh oh, the bridgeway tavern or something uh he got us at the end of the night and said come on boys have anything you like you, you broke the bar record tonight uh You didn't get it, you didn't pull as many people as Cold Chisel. We sold more booze than Cold Chisel did. (laughs) And Matt Matt said, Matt said, Oh, who who held the bar record before we broke it tonight? And he said, Oh, you did. (laughs) (laughs) So we we broke our own bar record. So that, uh, yeah. And uh, the the other thing that's really great uh, about Chain is. You know, for years, we'd get these things people that come up and say, Look, I really love this band. And you go, How come you know about it? You're too young. they say, Well, you know, I grew up with mum and dad playing the chain records all the time. Well, now we get people come up and say, My grandparents played, played yeah. the chain records. Well, that's <laughs> so, right.
1: But, yeah, look, I remember seeing you at Alexander Theatre at Monash Uni when I was 18. Um, when I was when I was first down there, it sort of uh, bent my head to blues. I mean, I was also into uh, John Lee Hooker and um, Junior Wells and all that, but it was great to see that great Australian band bussing out, and I'll never forget that.
2: Yeah, yeah, that, we uh, there was a, a real circuit that went round the campuses uh, back back in the sort of seventies, and yeah, and uh, they, they were they were great. They Uh they obviously spent a lot of their union fees on music.
1: Well, that was a lunchtime concert, I remember. That's when they had them, you know. And um that was the thing in the early seventies, you know, across America and the UK as well. All the bands played at the universities at lunchtime. So um that college circuit has sort of disappeared a bit. But um there you go. So when you went solo, um that was you went solo after that, I guess, and you've been solo ever since. Uh, apart from a whole lot of different bands that you've played in but um the thing that remains is your solo work is that correct
2: uh yeah pretty much i uh, of course we still do change we just uh we just did a, a run in melbourne back in march and then we did blues fest at Byron bay and blues fest in melbourne
3: yeah
2: uh but uh yeah it, it, meantime i i do the occasional solo gig uh i either either solo straight solo acoustic uh, uh or perhaps you know with a band uh, i just doing i'm just doing interesting things nowadays uh, i i don't really have a formula of, uh, of, of what i want to do i'm not really touring anymore just when when uh, an interesting event or something comes up uh if if it, if it suits me I'm in it
1: yeah, well, what prompted me, I, I mean, that album uh, Out of My Shed or Head, whatever you want to call it, um, that you <laughs> recently put out during the pano or the pandemic, and the songwriting on that's fantastic. I mean, the whole, and I uh, picked up my ears, I thought, wow, this this is great stuff. And um, I've been playing a bit on the show and, of course, I've got to talk to Phil Manning. I mean, how is he producing such great songwriting? Um in a career that's been so long, I mean, you can answer that question, but I mean, how do you go about that songwriting, and, and, and what inspires you for it?
2: Look, I, I, I have this sort of habit. Um, every afternoon, around about five, round about four thirty, five o'clock, I go out to my little studio and I just start playing, and uh, a lot of it's just practice to keep my hand in some sort of shape. Yeah, uh, but invariably, a little riff comes up or a little melodic idea comes up, and I hit the button on my phone and record it, and uh, and then I might mess around with some, some lyrics, and I sort of put I put things together up rather piecemeal, you know. Sometimes sometimes a song will just come straight out of the blue, um, but you know, for inspiration. Uh, I've got a whole lifetime of of inspiration yeah. uh, from from you know. Let, let's face it, you know. There's if you've grown up listening to Bob Dylan and the Rolling Stones and Hendrix and Clapton and all these people, um, you've heard some of the best songwriting already. Yeah, and uh, and that that sort of comes out in in some ways, and and often it's 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 quite sort of. It, it's a bit alarming at times because you'll you'll write. Sometimes I've noticed. Sometimes I'll write a great little melody, and then I'll be going, "Oh no, I, this, I've heard this before somewhere," <laughs> and uh, you know, trying to think where on earth I've copied that from. You know? Um but uh, yeah, songwriting's great, and and I was, I was really pleased to see that Ed Sheeran won his uh, court case actually. Yeah, uh, because that 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 was. That was something that uh, sort of reared its head in recent years uh, about this sort of grab for, you know, as soon as something becomes successful, someone decides that it sounds remotely like something else yes, uh, and and wants to get in for their kill, you know. And uh, it really, as I think Ed Sheeran pointed out, you know, uh, there's so many songs written in that little format uh, that no one can own it, really, and uh, so that, that was a real win, I think, for songwriters yes. overall. Well,
1: I mean, at work, didn't do so well, did they?
2: No, that was that was a, that was one of the most horrible things I've I've heard of in my life. It was dreadful, um, uh, and, and you know, I mean, yeah, I, 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 and really, at the end of the day, the legal argument. Was completely wrong anyway. Um, the uh, you know you, anyway, I, I won't go into all that. But yeah, no, uh, no that, that no. was a tra- that was a real tragedy. As
1: soon, soon as you're successful, you become a target for um, for those who uh, the bottom feeders, as we call them. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> they, they they try and live off the other, of other people's success. But I see uh, on the uh, on the the um, uh, shelf behind you got a book with Clapton written on it. So it leads me to you. Who are your influences as a guitar player?
2: Well, initially, of course, uh, Keith Richards and George Harrison were the original ones. Yeah. Uh, then I heard the Yardbirds, and, and of course that followed on from there. That uh, Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck um, and Hendrix. Yeah. Uh, but by the time I Got to art school. Uh, I I went to art school when I was uh, still 17, actually. I hadn't yet turned 18. And um, uh, I'd already sort of heard Money Waters and and Bo Diddley and stuff like that. And uh, almost as soon as I got to art school, I ran into a couple of different people that had these amazing records from uh, overseas. So uh, I suddenly discovered Buddy Guy and Otis Rush and BB King and uh, all those all those great players, and um, and Buddy Guy is is probably my yeah my he my biggest influence Guy I, I, I like his craziness. Yeah, there's a sort of an edge and a real edge that Buddy Guy has. Uh, that I loved. And I, I really enjoyed seeing him at Blues Fest, and I got to watch the whole show in Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was just an absolute thrill. Okay, yeah. Great player. So, you know, there that, that are all those things. And then, of course, uh, in time, uh, I gradually discovered, went back in time and discovered, you know, the big Bill Bruinsies and then uh, Skip James, uh, Robert Johnson, obviously, uh, Blind William McTell, Blind Blake, you know, uh, Blind Lemon Jefferson, just, just following back and finding all that uh, early stuff, yeah. and uh, that's that's had a huge effect on on me, particularly in the in my solo performance.
1: Well, I also know your solo guitar is very skillful, uh, right hand um, finger style picking, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which you don't always find in the early blues guys. A more rhythmic, rootsy, if that's if I can say that. Um, did you have do you have uh, influences in that finger style guitar work?
2: Uh, well, I mean, obviously, uh, there's all, all those wonderful players like Richard Thompson, and there's a whole mess of great pickers, you know, great finger pickers, and you know Doc Watson, particularly.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, not so much Chet Atkins, although I would love, love Chet's stuff, but um, the. As I mentioned earlier on, I did a bunch of right-hand classical exercises when I was in, in my early twenties. Yeah, and uh, I developed the the knack of being able to use my thumb and and all the fingers. Yeah, whereas most blues players uh, and and a lot of the the country pickers often just use their thumb and one finger or thumb and two fingers. Yeah, so I. I sort of developed this thing of using all my all my fingers just basically <laughs> whatever i could hit the strings with yeah. and uh uh so it, it is uh, a, a bit more complex than what a normal blues player would play at times uh and i but at the same time i still find like i'm i'm doing a version of a a sleepy john Esty song at the moment and i found that the only way i can get the rhythm right is to is to go back to a really primitive way of playing, yeah. just a thumb and a finger, you know, um, and uh, that gets the rhythm right, which which I can't do with all my fingers. So yeah, it right. uh, it depends, depends a lot on the song, how much I use both hands. And-
1: yeah, yeah, but yeah I, I agree with you. You don't always see it. You see it more in, like, finger-style folk picking or something um, because that's the nature of it um, compared to some of the yeah. blue styles. Um well on the equipment, didn't you have a uh guitar named
2: after you? Well, I I, I designed one actually and right. worked with Mateon uh, in, yeah. in developing it. And it it was marketed under my name um uh as a film and a custom stereo back in the 70s, and it went really, really well. Uh it was the best-selling electric in Australia for a couple of years. Uh, but then the uh the uh people who were behind the promotion and everything uh moved on to uh moved on to other other companies that did all the promotion for them. So but it, it, the guitar still most my, my I gave my original prototype to my son for his twenty yeah. first. Right. And uh and uh, I, I as it is any anyway, rate, I became a, a Fender Australia artist in nineteen eighty eight and I've played Basically, played Fender electrics ever since.
1: Right. What what made the Phil Matting custom special? Uh, custom.
2: Well, um, it, I tried to sort of make it. It was semi-solid to cut down on the weight and try and put some acoustic, cha- a, a bit of acoustic character into the cha- acoustic chambers. Yeah. Uh, and it had two outlets with a switch between them, so that you could either. You could use two amps, like as in stereo, and move flip between them, or you could use one output with effects and the other output with another set of effects or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, looking looking back in hindsight, it was a, it was a bit overcomplicated, but uh, but it was it was still a great guitar.
1: Yeah, I still see uh, come across a lot of players with you know buy amps guitars and. Um... Um, it, it certainly can do, do great things with them, but you need need a, a doctorate to, to get it right right. <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> and, and acoustic wise, what are you playing now? Uh,
2: well, for the last couple of years, I've been playing cold, uh little ladies or LLs.
1: Yeah,
3: was that
2: called now? Um, uh, it happened by accident, actually. Um, uh, Chris Finnan came across from Adelaide to do the Melbourne guitar show. And we did a, a we did a, a show together, and Chris borrowed one of these Cole Clark little ladies to to use, and I tried it out, and I loved it because it was a short scale neck. Yeah. And um, in recent years, I've I've had uh, a bit of arthritis in my left hand.
3: Yeah.
2: And uh, I've I've sort of leant towards a slightly shorter scale neck, and uh, it it really suited me and. So, uh, so I, I moved across to using them. I've got three of them now. I love them. Wow. And, um, yeah, they're, they're, and they're a full two inches shorter than a normal standard uh, scale length. So they're 23-and-a-half-inch scale and uh, are gorgeous. They're just beautiful little guitars, and they amplify really well. They're great acoustically. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's what I use, and I've – uh, I built myself a Telecaster during the lockdown period with a with a little lady fingerboard on it, so I've got a short scale Telecaster. Wow. I just got a I recently got a short scale uh, Strat from Japan.
3: Yeah,
2: and uh, so yeah, that's been really great because it, it's 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 meant that I can continue playing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, it was getting really difficult on the normal guitars because of my hand. Oh, what about your singing?
1: Where did that where did that kick off from? Was it were you singers in the family, or um, your, your singing something you worked on, or what's your background with singing?
2: Uh, not very good. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that.
2: I wouldn't no, say that. No, no, but
1: obviously, I, I, you you, you sing a lot. You sing in a lot of in a lot of formats. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um. Yeah, look, it's it's something I really should I really should put some I really should have put a lot of effort into, but I, I really haven't. I back in the early days I always tried to sing songs that were too high. I always I always sort of fancied uh, that I'd I'd like to sound like Stevie Winwood. Yeah, and uh, so uh, in the early days I, I I had all these things that I listen to them now and it's dreadful, way too high for my for my voice. Uh, So in recent years, at least I've fixed that, and uh, (laughs) uh, uh, it's just uh, a part of a part of the thing. I I I always say to sound engineers, you know, mix my voice back and bring the guitar forward. So I'm I'm not what I'd call I'm not what I'd call a confident singer, but I, I do it nonetheless.
1: No, well, that, that, it certainly sounds good to me. But I mean, I interview a lot of people, and ask them about their singing, and some say, um, <laughs> "Oh, look, I'm working on it every day, and it's still crap." or so <laughs> "Like you know that?" But I said, "Well, the, the punters don't know that. They they like what they hear. So it's um, it's unusual. I did tour a band from America, and the singer would, would be do breathing and, and vocal exercises like like Paul Keating. You know, um, he'd it, be um, <laughs> shifting the mouth around to make sure it all worked when he got on stage." But he was um very professional at it. I like, think, well, uh, we were good on him, and it worked. I mean, he had he had a great tone and, and, and intonation. It was a blues, but uh, he certainly applied those techniques. But um yeah, a lot of people uh, adopt a style that suits them to, to you know, we're not all born with the golden pipes, as they say.
2: No, well, I I I did have some some singing lessons back in the 70s for a period of time with uh, a lovely woman, Molly Ayres. She was one of Dame Nellie Melba's students. Oh yeah, and um, uh, she taught me a, a a really thing that's really helped me a great deal, like um, to to try and sort of focus the uh, vocal your vocal sound around the the upper part of your nose, you know, behind your eyes, in yeah. in, in here, and. Um, and that's that's been really good for me because uh, a lot of singers that that use their chest uh, can blow tend to blow their throat out easily.
3: Right.
2: And uh, so that that was one thing that I uh, that I learned that's, that's has stood me in good stead. I, I don't know I can normally get through quite a number of gigs without blowing my voice out, but which is good.
1: Yeah. Well, certainly working doing solo act, you've got to have it all happening um, to um, to 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 pull it off. What's the um, what's some of your favorite recordings you still play? Um, You know, from old days or new days, recent days.
2: Um, actually, I don't play a lot of I don't play a lot of music. Actually, I'm too busy painting or uh, writing songs or you know playing guitar myself. Yeah. Um, when I when I do actually sit back and go, all right, I've got to listen to some stuff, I listen to a lot of Irish music. I love, I love some of yeah. the Irish stuff I love, particularly uh, a very good friend of mine, Steve Cooney, over in Ireland, has done some beautiful recordings and uh, introduced me to some wonderful music. Uh, people like the, the fiddle player uh, Martin Hayes, uh a magnificent player. Uh, I, I love that stuff, and and of course the thing that always gets me is uh, the old anything from the old early chess catalog.
3: Yeah,
2: uh, Little Wilder, Muddy and Wolf, uh, and then all the blues guys, Skip James. I just love all that stuff. Yeah, I just really adore it, and uh, I can I can listen to something a million times and it still sounds as fresh. Just the, the 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 rawness of it. There's something beautiful about it.
1: Yeah, it's timeless. I don't think it'll ever go. It'll ever lose its um its a spark that that music. And um, this is why we've got a, a, a blues fraternity, I suppose. All all, all trying to uh, emulate and uh, hopefully you learn from from what those old masters did.
2: But, yeah, but- yeah, but then but then, it, then every everyone everyone will go woke, and then you won't be able to sing about anything.
1: No. <laughs> be cancelled out for cultural appropriation, but um, <laughs> let's let's not go there. Let's not go there. Um, the, yeah. the the The, uh, the future what's, what's the future hold for you? Just um, uh, have you got plans for touring, or you, you're keeping it low key? What you? What are you? What's your, what's the uh, the plans for filmmaking?
2: Well, at the moment, well, at the moment, uh, my, my focus is, is getting my my uh, art framed. And ready for this exhibition. Right. Um, Can you I've got, a, I've got a, I've got a I've got a few right. little gigs coming up. There's one coming up a, uh, uh up uh, at the Wendori uh Windory, Cultural Center or whatever it's arts center in, in Ballarat uh with uh the Blues Guitar Road Show.
1: Oh yes, yes.
2: Uh, which, yeah, Andrea Amara and John McNamara put this together with uh I'm not sure who's going to be on this one, but I think Jeff Atchison's normally on them. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm not. I haven't. I haven't really sort of uh, seen which lineup it, it, it's going to be, but that one i have got one of those coming up uh, in July. I think it is July. Without my diary, I'm lost.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> um. Uh. And uh, later on in the year, I'll obviously I'll be doing a, a lot more gigs. I. I I tend to hibernate a bit in winter here. It's, you know, I stay inside and keep warm.
1: Yeah, yeah, because well, it's a, this is a Melbourne thing. It's good good for um, good for songwriting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I lived in North Queensland for a while, but um, I think I prefer Melbourne. I used to say uh, Mel- Melbourne's crap for three months, but uh, beautiful for nine. It's the reverse up there. <laughs> yeah, this is right. Um, right. Right up there. Well that's great. Um and any advice for young players? I mean um you're a man with the um the, the expertise who uh, give some advice out so what would it be?
2: Uh, my advice to young players would be to, to research and go backwards in time. Go back and listen to where it began, you know, because uh I mean the blues wasn't really recorded Oh, well, put it this way: country blues with guitar wasn't yeah. really recorded until the twenties. Yeah, um, so you know, go back into the forties and thirties and twenties, and and listen to what those people were doing, and 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 listen to the subject matter, and 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 try and imagine the the, the actual life, because uh, it, it's it's the same with country music, because. If you if you if you go back in country music, you end up at the same place.
3: yeah
2: I, I had this album once, I don't know where it went to, it vanished, but it was uh, it was co- a double album from memory and it was called White Blues Singers of the 30s. yeah and um, and and it was just astonishing that, that there uh, back in the 30s there were all these guys and, and women that uh, uh, were regarded as blues players. But they were really country players, you know. They were country country artists, but they hadn't sort of discovered the name country. They were sort of blues, and um, and that was that was a, a revelation for me to to discover that it 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 it, it existed. Uh, and and of course, it exists. Uh, blues sort of exists wherever there's poverty, yes. Uh, wherever wherever there's hardship, uh, wherever, wherever wherever there's a broken heart, or you know, rent can't be paid. Yeah, the uh, the a, 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 a situation waiting for blues to happen, you know? and uh, so I, I think it's it's for young players. Yeah, I, I, that's the one thing I sort of suggest is go back and listen to, in time, and 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 get a feel for the for the actual foundations of it.
3: Yeah, yeah. and
2: uh, I, I think and I think that's what you see when you. When you see these uh, great young uh, blues players coming up now, like uh, you know, Christone King Kingfish uh, Ingram or uh, uh, Eric Gales, you know, people like that, you know, they they've got they've they've obviously got a foundation in the old stuff as well. Yeah. Otherwise, it, it, you you wouldn't feel your authenticity that they have.
1: That's right. Yeah, you can't describe it, but you you know it when you hear it. That's it. That's it. Well, look, I really appreciate your time, Phil. It's been fantastic hearing some background and um take a little bit of a journey through uh, what you've been doing and I hope you keep going because I'm loving your stuff still and um hope we can catch you live again pretty soon. The um So thanks again for coming on Solid Dog Blues and Roots.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me and uh keep on rocking.
4: See her soon sometime I got a sleeping tablet